anybody else that's on the way on the roads will be safe and things we have some people who are sick sandra isn't here this morning she called me yesterday told me she had a cold so hopefully she's uh getting the things she needs and will feel well and bruce uh is uh not feeling well he's had a bad cold for the past few days so i guess it's taking its toll on our congregation but you are here, and I am glad you are here. I trust that you're glad you're here and that you are ready to worship because that's why we came here, to fellowship, to worship, to praise Jesus. Would you stand with me as we start our service, and we'll sing some great hymns. But let's begin with prayer. Father, we do thank you you got us all here safe. Um, we thank you for the sunshine that we had yesterday, how beautiful it was. We thank you for the rain that's here today, that's uh, watering our yards and our flowers and keeping our lakes full. And uh, everything that we have comes from you. You are in control and know exactly what we need and give us exactly what we need. Remember, there used to be a great song that was talking about... Uh, Little flowers never complain when it rains because <laughs> they need, they know that to grow. And, and we need to recognize, I need to recognize that everything that comes from your hand is for my good because of your love for me. And take that in that sense. We pray that you'll encourage our hearts this morning as we sing, as we hear your word preached, as we get to see each other's smiling faces and hear how each other are doing, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and that you would make us uh, even more of a family than we are today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start with a great, great um, hymn of worship and a recognition of the power and might and attributes of God. Immortal and visible, the only wise God, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, is enlightened, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most glorious, most glorious. The ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. Unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, thy soaring above. Thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, your Father of life, thine angels adore thee, 
availing their sight, all praise we would render, oh help us to see, tis only the splendor of light eyed at thee. Who God is, he says, go outside and take a look. <laughs> the, uh, the night sky, a billion stars, and that's just the ones we can see. And when we go out today, the, every plant, every animal, it's amazing, the variety. Why did God do that? Just because he could, just because he wanted to. Just to show us something about who he is and who, how much he loves us. In the end of uh, the Lord's Prayer... He says that we should pray that his kingdom would come. The Bible says that as we um, are out about his business and serving him and leading others to him, one day the last person who's supposed to be a Christian will be saved, and then it's time for him to come back. <laughs> so if you want to hasten the time, start telling people, and maybe you're the one who's going to lead the last one to Jesus, and then we'll all be out of here. We are praying for God's kingdom because this kingdom that's on this earth is horrid and run by Satan. But one day, God's kingdom will be here and we'll be a part of that and it'll be a glorious world. Your glorious cause of glory. Your glorious cause, O oh God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever you are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your So that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth. Till your sovereign work on earth is done. Let your kingdom come. Give us your strength, O oh God, and courage to speak. Perform your wondrous deeds through those who are weak. Lord, use us as you want, whatever the test. By grace we'll preach your gospel till our dying. Let your will be done so that 
great hymn, a beautiful, beautiful hymn and a beautiful message. I'm not sure uh, those of you who are a little older like me and grew up in the Baptist Church may recognize this hymn. Uh, Steve wasn't sure everybody would know it, but it's a beautiful hymn and I wanted to get a chance to do it with you. It's called All the Way My Savior Leads Me and I love uh, the concept and the la especially in the last verse when he talks about when you get to heaven, you'll look back and you say, wow, <laughs> look at the way he led my life, all the things he did to bring me to here. And that's for us to see now in our life where God is, to be looking for how God is leading and to appreciate what he's doing in our lives and how he leads us all the way. the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus with all things well, for I know whatever befall me, Jesus do with all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my 
Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised from my Father's house above. When my spirit clothed immortal wings its flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. God has promised that those who look for him and fight the good fight, he's promised a crown of righteousness that he's going to personally give to us. And that makes it worth fighting for, doesn't it? That I know I'm not fighting alone. He gives me the power, the strength to fight every day. And I'm not fighting for nothing. I'm not like a boxer that's sparring and beating the air or somebody who's running doesn't really know where the finish line is. I have a Savior who's waiting for me in uh, heaven with all of the rewards that he has for me for the things that I do for him. And one day I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so I will fight the good fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I am the I have fought the good fight. future there is laid up for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have Another <clears throat> song. We probably haven't done this one in a while, but it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer on our part. Um, reminding God and our own hearts that he should be our all in all. So we'll sing it through through the chorus, and then we'll come back, and ladies, you'll do 
the first two verses singing and the men will sing the chorus behind you. So, you are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I be a fool. You are my all in all. Taking my sin, my my shame, rising again, I bless your name, you are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up, when I am dry, you fill my cup, you are my all in all. Jesus, Good morning. Our reading today is in Psalm 86, the first 13 verses. Uh, feel free to follow along in a Bible you brought yourself or from a Bible in the pew or uh, just be blessed by listening. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul 
of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness in all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor any, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and there, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Father God, thank you that you are always there, that as it says in Hebrews, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because we have a high priest, we have a savior who, is, who walked this earth and knows what it's like to be us. Uh, Lord, I am so glad that you are ready to forgive, that, Lord, you are ready to heal, that, uh, that, Lord, you, uh, that, that, Lord, you are, uh, you will always hear our supplications, Lord. And help us, as it says in this psalm, that David's desire is, is for us to learn your ways, that you would teach us your ways, that we would want to learn your ways. And, and Lord, that, that our heart would be united in its fear and its worship of you. Lord, thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship you in music, in the reading of your word, and the preaching of your holy word. I thank you for our pastor, Steve. Uh, Lord, he loves your word, he loves you, and he loves us, his flock. I pray that you'd put in his heart and in his mind what you would have him teach us. And Lord, give us ears to hear so that we would listen and take to heart what we're being taught. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good to see you. Indeed, the Lord stopped the rain in time. Steve Altman was talking about the rain and the little flowers, and it reminds me of our backyard. We have a bird feeder, usually Marsha, sometimes myself. We uh, feed the birds every day, and all kinds of birds, beautiful birds. It's, birds are that's a whole, another whole story. Uh, the birds that God has created. But what happens is, is you know, this bird seed's got all kind of, 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 you know, different things in it. And one is sunflower seeds. And so I'm not sure if it's the birds or sometimes Marsha will throw a little extra seed out for squirrels to get. So I noticed this about two, three years ago is what happens is, is all these plants grow up. I mean, you know, you, you don't mow the lawn as much in winter, so I noticed these plants growing up, and then I realized, hey, that's a sunflower. So now we just protect it. So now there are literally a hundred, I say at least a hundred plants back there. 
probably about seven or eight flowers pretty soon another week or two. It'll be just all beautiful yellow flowers. And I'm just thankful how God gives us blessings like that. Indeed, in some ways, we are like flowers, and God wants us to grow. He wants us to shine. He wants us to be a picture of his glory. That's what he wants for us. Well, we're looking at the Beatitudes, a very instructional passage, a very important teaching from Jesus that we need to know and understand and apply to our lives. What we notice as we look at these Beatitudes is a progression of truth and instruction from basic foundational truth to that which relates to more mature Christians. We start with the first Beatitude. It's about being poor in spirit. That means being humble. Next Beatitude is about mourning for your sin, grieving over your sin. And these first two Beatitudes are very basic. They're very foundational. They're for every, every single Christian. And then last week we talked about being a peacemaker. His desire is to bring peace between himself and other believers or to help other believers get along and have peace and unity with each other. And that takes maturity. I told you that. Today we're talking about persecution and to be persecuted and to go through persecution in a godly way, that takes maturity as well. So you see this progression from the beginning clear as you move on through these Beatitudes. And so today we want to look at this Beatitude and turn first then to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read through these few verses. We're going to just cover some things in general first about, these, this, about persecution. Then we'll look more specifically at Matthew uh, these few verses here. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. It says, Blessed are those who, are, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A lot of things to say about this. This is really a huge subject. It's, it's no small subject when you look at the Bible. You'll see it from beginning to end. It's one that's really not taught much like it ought to be in our country and in our world. But I first want to do is, is just read a number of verses that refer to persecution, then we'll continue on. John 5.16 says, For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. John 15.20, Remember what I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. 1 Corinthians 15.9, Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church of God. Matthew 24.9, then they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Luke 21.12, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my namesake. Romans 8.35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. And all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 1 Corinthians 4.12. When we are persecuted, we endure. We have become the scum of the world. 2 Thessalonians 1.4. We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your faith and perseverance in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. A lot of good things and many other verses beside that. Just a few to get us started here. First, let me define persecution. 
be persecuted means you're being hated. It means you're being harassed. You're being insulted. That's the verbal persecution. And then there is the physical persecution. You're, you're physically hurt or you're tortured or you kill. And all these perse persecutions because you love God, because you are a Christian, because you believe in Christ and are living for him. And people who persecute Christians are opposed to these Christians. And they're also opposed to God and Jesus Christ and the gospel, whether they realize it or not, okay? That is, they might persecute you and not knowing what they're, that they're really persecuting God and Christ. But these people, they don't want to hear that they're sinners. They don't want to know that they're guilty because of their sin. They don't want to know that they are headed to hell if they don't repent of their sins. They don't want to know that. And people who persecute Christians are ones who are not children of God, but in fact are children of the devil. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people out there who persecute Christians, who think they're doing a good work, that we as Christians are bad people, and they're just deceived, and, and they hate us because of who we are and what we do. Next, there's three primary examples in the Bible of ones who are persecuted, at least this is my assessment. There's David, and he was uh, greatly persecuted. David prayed this to, his, to God. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. I like that. The affliction is the actual persecution. The anguish is the result it produces in your heart and in your soul. Then there's Paul. He says of himself, Are they servants of Christ? I more so, and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. That comes from a whole litany of, of, of verses about how Paul was persecuted. I don't, there's not a greater litany of, in the whole Bible than what you see there in 2 Corinthians 11. Finally, and most importantly, there's Jesus, Hebrews 12, 3, uh, says, Consider him who endured such suffering by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. These three different people, and I could give you a message on each of these. So there's so much. You have David and probably... Uh, so much of the Psalms is about persecution and him being persecuted. Then you got Paul and you go to the book of Acts and you look at the epistles and all the information there. And of course, Jesus, it's found in the Gospels. Next, the early church was persecuted. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is, this is the verse, chapter 8 here, that starts right after Stephen was, was martyred for his faith, which is what much of chapter 7, Acts 7, is about. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, that is, putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This great persecution. And then you go to Acts eleven nineteen. A verse that references that. This is Acts 11:19. So when those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. The thing I want to say here, this is referring to what we just read in Acts 8:1. That word persecution there in the Greek is thlipsis. It's also translated tribulation. So if you put Acts 8:1 together with Acts 11:13, 11:19, what you're saying is what they went through. That great persecution was great tribulation. There are many people who say, oh, Christians, we won't go through great tribulation. It's right there. That's how the early churches started. Great tribulation through the, for the church. And there's many more stories about Paul and others being greatly persecuted. Turn in, in, in Acts to Acts 14 and 19. 
just share a couple examples here. Jews came from Antioch at Iconium, and having won over the crowd, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They must have really beat him up pretty bad. They thought he was dead, but he gets up and, and keeps on going. We go to chapter 16, verses 22 to 24. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. That's pretty heavy duty there, right? When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's not how they treat prisoners today, right? There'd be a lawsuit against somebody if they threw the prisoner into jail. But they threw him into the prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Then later, under Roman leaders, and you probably heard about this, there's more persecution for many Christians than were martyred for their faith during that early church period. And we're talking the first, the second, the third uh, centuries. And there's some Roman leaders that are worse than others because you had different emperors come through the years and you read the stories and there's some that were really bad and some weren't quite as bad, a little more lenient, but there was a lot of persecution then. The book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, describes the deaths of many martyrs from that first century on and it's really, it's, it's kind of book that probably um, people don't like to read because it's about persecution, but you read of course about people being stoned uh, to death, that was very, very common. Then, of course, you read about um, uh, some very, I'll use this word creative, and, and I don't really like it, but it's, it helps you understand. The people were very creative in how they killed the Christians. So one, they'd pour pitch on them, like tar, and light them on fire. They'd be human torches. Another one, they would, they would wrap them in animal skins and throw them to the dogs. Can you imagine what happens then? And, and, and the point is, they were, the, the, the persecution was really evil, really wicked, all kinds of ways, I mean, of, of, of what happened. And, but the thing I want to say is this, is through this entire church age, now we are here 2,000 years later, Christians have been persecuted. That's the, that's the bottom line. That, that's the summary here. Next, next point is red and white persecution. You may have never heard this phrase. It's, it's more and more common. As, as Christians, we often talk about persecution in its extreme form, okay? That is martyrdom, the killing of Christians, bloody persecution, or as they say, red persecution. That's, that's what we're saying. There's a, there's a world watch list. It's a 20, 2021 world watch list that they cover things related to persecution. The top 10 places where this extreme, violent, red persecution took place were in three major areas. It was in the Middle East. It was in Africa and also then in Asia. That's where most of this extreme persecution is taking place at this time. Um, and of course, uh, and as we know, there's not much extreme persecution going on in, in Europe, not this kind. There's not that much in, in South America or North America. I mean, you don't read about people being killed for their faith in North America or in this country. That's just, it happens, but not that often compared to other parts of the world is the one I just mentioned. Next, there's this present-day persecution of Christians. This relates to what I just said. And, and there's a book called the, the Coming Christian Persecution that goes into great detail about this persecution. It states in, in 2021 that there was 4,761 people killed for their faith in the world. I don't know exactly how they know, but they really pay attention. They really study these things. They try to report things. 
It also tells us the top eight countries with this extreme persecution, this red persecution. They are North Korea, number one, Afghanistan, two, Iraq, Syria, Nigeria, India, China, and Pakistan. And of course, there's, there's great persecution in, in these countries, but there's persecution all over the world. I just said it's worse over there, more extreme in those places, these countries that I just listed. But what we know is that before the coming of Christ, this persecution is going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're going to see, I'm convinced, this red persecution in this country as well. The reason I can say that biblically is, is very simply, uh, Matthew 24, 9, which I read before, I'll read again. It's probably the verse that sums up this great persecution, this extreme persecution in the world, better than any in the Bible. It says simply, and I'll read it again here, then they will deliver you to persecution. That's the word flipsis or tribulation. And will kill you. That's extreme persecution, right? And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So it's extreme and it's great. It's not just one local area, not just one country like Afghanistan or North Korea. But it's all over the world. Christians are being hated, being killed. This is going to be the worst time of persecution ever in those last few years before Christ comes back. But I want to read something here that, that helps you see this too. Just some, in fact, I just saw this yesterday. The article came out from the Daily Signal. It just came out Friday. And there's, there's a group called Open Doors International, and they follow this persecution as well. And, and this, there, there's, there's summary of what happened in 2023. just came out a couple days ago. So I thought I might as well read some of these stories here, real brief here. Open Doors International, a nonprofit organization that supports persecuted Christians in over 70 countries, has released its annual 2024 World Watch List, which highlights and ranks countries which Christians face the most severe persecution. Just a couple things to say here. First of all, further, the 2024 report indicates a significant, significant increase in the number of attacks on churches and Christian properties last year. According to Open Doors, more than 14,700 churches or Christian properties, such as schools and hospitals, were targeted. Targeted in 2023, it marked a sevenfold increase compared with attacks recorded the previous year. Do you get that? Seven times more attacks on church properties, religious properties, than the year before. Then it goes on to say nearly 300,000 Christians had to flee their homes. It goes on to say North Korea is the most dangerous place in the world for Christians. If a person's Christian faith is discovered, he or she is killed on the spot or shipped to a labor camp where the chances of survival are slim. In China, General Secretary Xi Jinping similarly sees Christianity as a threat to the Chinese Communist Party. Last year, 2023, at least 10,000 churches, mostly underground house churches, were closed in China. Huge. I had a good friend of mine, his name is Tim, but he was over there just three or four years ago. He had to come back because he and his wife are there. They're about my, well, they are my age. And they had to come back because they're closing things down. State-sanctioned churches were required to display signs that read, quote, love the Communist Party, love the country, love the religion. That's the state-sanctioned churches. In Asia as a whole, two in five Christians are persecuted for their faith. Christians in India face violent attacks from Hindu extremists and are punished for violating anti-conversion laws in some states. 
In Africa, one in five Christians are persecuted. Somalia was ranked number two for countries in which Christians face the most extreme persecution. In Somalia, most Christians are Muslim converts and are consequently targeted by Islamist extremists. You might have heard of the terrorist group Al-Shabaab. They're the ones that are doing it there. Nigeria, according to Open Doors, remains the deadliest place to to follow Jesus. I don't know if you heard this. Wait, I think it was, I'm not sure it was the day, Christmas Day. This is a couple, just what, a month and a half ago. If it was the day of Christmas or the day before, there was close to 200 Nigerians killed for their faith. 200 Nigerian Christians. Lastly, in 2023, nearly 5,000 Christians were killed for their faith, with 82% of the slains occurring in Nigeria. Ranked number six on the 2024 World Watch List, according to Open Doors. More Christians are killed for their faith in Nigeria than all the countries of the world combined. We're going to look at a verse in 1 Peter 5 later on towards the end about how we need to pray for our brothers overseas. If you want to remember one thing, say, Lord, help the Christians in Nigeria. That's the worst place to be in terms of being killed. That's in Nigeria. Let's continue on. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter, back to Matthew. We're going to be referring to this as we go through our time today. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 10 and 11. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We read here about specific kinds of persecution in this verse 11. It says about being insulted or being slandered. What you clearly see here is that's verbal persecution. That's not this red persecution. That's not being killed for your faith kind of persecution. That's what's stated here, okay? So please understand that we'll refer to that a little bit later. And here's some examples I'm going to give you of, of and you might have others, examples of this white persecution that we see really in our country. It could be harassment at work. It could be discriminatory hiring practices. It could be an unsafe family member saying something mean to you because you're a Christian. It could be a politician giving some speech, putting down Christians. They use this phrase now, Christian nationalists, and some of that phraseology includes all of us. Or they might say a white Christian nationalist. That's the kind of thing that's being said. It could be the FBI arresting some person who's praying at a pro-life center. That's happened. People have gone to jail for this. It could be the vandalizing, the looting, the destruction, the burning of churches. This has happened a lot in Canada the last year or two. It could be that you're canceled in some way, shape, or form for saying something on a media forum that's about God or Christ or the gospel. It could be the last White House Thanksgiving proclamation. They usually give one every year started way back with, with uh, Washington and Lincoln and stuff, and I don't know how many presidents. Most of the presidents have done it, though. The first proclamation ever where the name God was not mentioned. That's subtle persecution, isn't it? I'm thinking, who are they thanking then for all these blessings we get? I don't know, but they didn't thank God. That did not happen. So this white persecution is happening now. I, I, I think that most of you who have your eyes open a little bit see this. And you can see in the last year, two, three, four, five, that it's getting worse and worse, and it'll keep getting worse. As I said before, it will eventually, whether that's in five years or 50, it'll turn into red persecution. There's no doubt, and I say that biblically, but also just because we have our eyes open, we can see. 
Okay, the next point is this. I'm just making some general points here. In the end times, the two groups of people experiencing the most persecution are the Jews and the Christians. And what you're going to see and what you are seeing and will continue to see is the persecution against these two groups of, of people will increase, increase, and get worse and worse. We saw some of it recently with, with the thing over in Israel, anti-Semitism, you know, in, in this country, in our schools and all over the place. It's going to get worse. They can say, well, let's help out the Jews. It's going to get worse, okay? And what's going to happen sooner or later then? Don't know when. Christ will come back. He'll rapture the Christians. And then shortly after that, there'll be a large remnant of Jews, and he will save them. Now, Matthew 24 talks about this. Let me just sum up Matthew 24 very quickly. Verses 1 to 3 of the introduction, 4 to 8, talks about this birth pains that are going out all over the world against all kinds of people. Everybody is included in verses 4 to 8. That is Christians and non-Christians. Verses 9 to 14 is directed at Christians, what's going to happen to them. And then verses 15 to 26 is what's going to happen to the Jews. And then verses 27 on to 31 talks about the rapture of the church. So it's very interesting how it's listed there to see that. This is where things are at, where things are going. Okay, let's go back to Matthew 5 here. I'll read this again. Again, just wanna, this is now where we're going to focus our time here on these few verses. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, a number of points here to make. First, the main theme of this beatitude is that Christians then will be persecuted for their faith, but the result of their persecution is that they will be blessed. That's bottom line. That's a summary. If you're looking for Christ, be persecuted, but you'll be blessed. Next point is this. Persecution in and of itself is not a good thing, right? We know that. I mean, ah, persecution is great. Persecution in and of itself is not good, but you all know the verse, Romans 8, 28, God works all things, and that includes persecution together for good. If you're persecuted, it's a good thing. That is bottom line. And that's because God then wants to use it for his purposes and his glory and, and, and also then that, that you would be blessed, okay? I think about this. I think there's a verse that really struck me when I thought about persecution. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, I think it's 17. It says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So let's, let's put that persecution in that momentary light affliction box, okay? Affliction is that word, tribulation. Momentary light, tribulation. So any persecution that you go through, whether it's verbal, whether it's physical, little, whatever, is momentary and it's light, okay? You have to understand that. Now, if it's going on to you, you're not going to feel like it. This isn't momentary light. It may be going on for, who knows, a week or a month. Who knows how long? It's momentary and light. And what's the result? Produces what? Eternal weight of glory. It's like this. If you invest a, a dollar and you get a million percent interest, that's pretty good. If you get 10% interest in your money, you're doing good. If you invest a dollar and get $1.10, that's 10 cents back. That's good, okay? But let's say you get a, a million percent interest that comes down to $10,000. Your dollar turns into 10000 That's pretty good. So your persecution is resulting in this great weight of glory. If you look at that investment, investing your life for the Lord is worth it worth it. That's what we're saying. Now, in these three verses, and I'm not going to 
take time to separate them here, but in these two, three verses, there are really two Beatitudes in one in verses 10 through 12. And both refer to persecution. Both have different information that relates to it okay. Next, these Beatitudes are different from the previous seven, that it's not what you need to do to be blessed, but it's your response to what others do to you that results in blessing. You see? It's not you doing something. It's not you mourning or being meek or being merciful or being hungry and a thirst. It's you just responding and being persecuted in a godly way. That's what results in blessing. That's what we need to understand. Fourth or fifth, these beatitudes about persecution may relate, and I would say may relate, they really do relate to other beatitudes. For example, you need to be one who is meek or humble before those who are persecuting you. You need to be one who is merciful. It says, blessed are the merciful to those who are persecuting you. You need to be one who is mourning, that is mourning for them, for their sin. Hey, they're sinning against me. They need Jesus. You see, that point. Another one is this, is, is, is the result of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, wanting to be godly then, oftentimes results in persecution. And that sometimes can stymie Christians. Well, if I start doing that, boy, I'm going to get it from these unbelievers, and I don't want it. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is that then which can result in, 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 in persecution. Second, um, next point. God will give you all the grace and peace you need to go through persecution. This is a whole message in and of itself. And maybe we'll get there sometime this year because I'm, I'm sharing what's going on here. I'm sharing on persecution this week, today, and then next Sunday. Bob Hunt's here after that. And then I'll talk about persecution, I believe, later on because there's a lot more to say. But 2 Corinthians 12, 9, turn there. And this is just one passage that talks about, well, how do you make it through persecution? What are, what are the means? And, and you all sort of know, but there are some specific things we need to point out. These great verses here in, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul, of course, was persecuted In fact, verse 8 says, he, he, he implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. The Lord, take this away. I don't like suffering like this. He, he asked God. It's not wrong to do that. He asked God. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power, your power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. So there we read that it's the grace of God, and it, it equates grace with strength. You talk about grace, one way to define grace is it's strength that God gives you. A few other things here, very simply, not in your notes there, but you know, need to know the love of God, right? What did, what did, what did David say there in Psalm, um, what's it? Psalm 31, 7? I'll be glad and rejoice in your love for me. Talking about the affliction he was going through. I'll be glad. So, so you know the love of God. That's important. You also need to have faith in God. You go to Hebrews 11. There's clearly a number of the people there in that whole hall of faith were being persecuted. You're trusting in God. You're trusting in his promises. You're believing that God's working it all together for good. And thirdly, hope. You believe, as we've said before, and we'll say again in a few minutes, that this is all going to work together for good, that you're going to be blessed supremely so because you are living for the Lord, you are suffering for him. So those three things, hope and faith and love and the grace of God is what we need 
to get through persecution. Now, let's talk more specifically about this beatitude of persecution. Matthew 5.10 says that as Christians were persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Very important point here. As Christians, we are to be holy and righteous. Unbelievers see that we're holy and righteous and they don't like it. As Christians, we are ones, you know, we're spiritual light. Unbelievers are spiritual darkness. They don't want to be around us. They just don't want to be around us because of our righteous life. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 14 to 16. 2 Corinthians 2. 14 to 16. It says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. If you're living for the Lord, whether you realize it or not, Others can sense that you're different, okay? It could be a workplace. It could be a family thing, whatever. They can just sense that guy's different. You don't swear. You don't curse. You don't, you know, complain about everything all the time. You're just different. goes on to say, we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? goes on, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. And so, in fact, let's turn one more passage, First Peter. There's so much here um, on persecution. It's just, when you start thinking about it as you read the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, you say, man, there's more on persecution. There's more. First Peter chapter 4 Peter writes, he says, Therefore, since Christ Jesus has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Instructional, isn't it? Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. The time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking, parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you because they persecute you. They don't understand what happened to you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and judge the dead. Go to verse 12, same chapter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange thing were happening to you. Verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in his name. Verse 19, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust your souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. One of the major themes, I'm saying major, it's not a minor theme, one of the major themes in the book of 1 Peter is this whole subject of suffering, and it weaves itself out from first, chap first chapter clear on through the fifth chapter. Now, if you confront an unbeliever, and let's say gently so even, not, not meanly, gently, kindly, patiently, with wisdom and tact, um, he very well may not like what you say. Again, you're telling him that he's a sinner, he's doing something wrong, you're telling him not only that he's a sinner, but that he's guilty because of his sin. And furthermore, if you're sharing the whole gospel, you're saying, hey, if you don't repent of your sins, you're going to hell. That's it. You don't like that. And you can understand why. They think they're going along and they're thinking a good life or whatever. It could be some Pharisee-type person who is a, a good person. 
on the outside, but he's a sinner inside, but he does the good works and things. And they don't like that, okay? They may get really mad at you and persecute you all the more. This verse here is very instructive. We'll talk about this in the future. John 7, 7, Jesus said, The world hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. The world hates me because I'm giving them free food. The world hates me because I'm raising the dead, because I'm curing all their diseases. Nope, we know that. They love that. The crowds came. The world hates me. The world will not hate you when you're nice to it and do nice things for it, but the world will hate you when you start telling them that they're sinners. That is the problem, and that's what got Jesus in trouble, and that is the main reason that they crucified him, okay? Because he told them that they were wrong, and then, in fact, he told that he himself was the Messiah, and they, Pharisees, Sadducees, elders, chief priests, did not like that. Okay, back to Matthew 5. The specific blessing that's given there is that you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And we're not going to go read it, but that's the exact same blessing that's in verse 3. Same blessing in verse 3, same blessing that's found in verse 10. But it's verses 11 and 12 to help understand what God is saying about this particular blessing in this context. Verse 10 talks about per persecution in general, but then says specific examples that we saw before. You'll be insulted. You'll be slandered. People will malign you. That's what's going to happen because you're living for Christ, because you're speaking up for Christ. So there's talking about this again, this white persecution, this verbal persecution in verse 11. And, and, and the way that most Christians are persecuted during this church age is verbally, right? You don't have stories of every century, massive amounts. It does happen in different centuries throughout the last 2,000 years. But most persecution is verbal persecution, okay? So, I mean, even think about this country here for a minute. This is, this is instructive. We, the United States is a great country. Other people will dispute that. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons why, but, but when you go back to the First Amendment, okay, there's four things that it says about the First Amendment. We have the freedom what? First one is what? Religion. 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 Speech. Assembly. Right? No, that's the fourth. Religion, speech, the press, and assembly. That's in Amendment 1. Those four reasons, and this has gone on for 250 years. Another year or two, we'll have 250-year celebration. That's why God is blessed. We have all these freedoms. There's, I don't know if there's any other country that has this listed out like this in their constitution, these freedoms. God's been very kind to us. We don't see this persecution. People can preach whatever they want. Okay, but things are changing. Things are changing. The point is this. If you're persecuted for Christ in any way at all, you'll be blessed. That's what we need to understand. And what Jesus says here, and here's the distinction. Jesus says that it'll be great blessing, or more specifically, you'll be greatly rewarded. I'll understand this. I'm going to talk about three kinds of rewards in general. Some people, some Christians aren't rewarded at all. Some Christians are rewarded and some Christians are rewarded greatly. Now, the ones that aren't rewarded at all is because of that verse in 1 Corinthians 3.15. And many, man, many man's work is burned up. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. It's in the context of being rewarded, okay? So this Christian, <laughs> he didn't really serve the Lord, and this happens. They're really saved. And it says that last line, it didn't say it, yet as through fire. <laughs> that is, the fire will burn away all their works because they didn't really live a fruitful life, but yet they were saved by God's grace. So they're not rewarded. 
others who are rewarded, others then, thirdly, who are greatly rewarded, and there's different reasons for that, but in this particular context, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, it says the great rewards result because you are persecuted. That's, that's what we're saying here, okay? And some... Um, uh, and one of the main, let me explain this briefly, I'm just going to touch on it. One of the main ways that you'll be rewarded, I believe, relates to how you will serve God on this earth. And I mean during this church age and also in the coming age, okay, the millennial kingdom age. That is, what does the rewards look like? Just a bunch of treasures piled up in a corner in your house? And no, the rewards relate to how you will serve the Lord. Turn to Luke chapter 19, you need to see this. Luke chapter 19, we've looked at before. This whole context about rewards. Luke 19, verses 15 to 19. Verse 15, it says, When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. First appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. Verse 17, he said to them, Well done, good and faith slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. Some people, oh, that's just a nice little example. I think it's literal. That is, you'll have responsibility. It's really maybe, maybe the over, overall point here. And it goes on, next one. Second came, saying, Your mina master has made five more. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Rewards, I believe, directly, at least one aspect of rewards, directly relates to how you will serve the Lord in this, I believe, to some degree in this age, but more so also and more so in the coming age. That's what I believe that the Lord is telling us. Now, verse 3, as I said before, says that you'll be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven, and verse 10 says you'll be rewarded with the kingdom of heaven as well. But what verse 12 is saying is different from verse 3, is that you'll be greatly rewarded in the kingdom of heaven for being persecuted. That's the point. That's the difference from verse 3 and verse 10, 11, and 12. And I believe that greatly being rewarded then relates to the degrees of rewards. I said serving, different degrees. You read about the one who had five cities and the other one had ten cities. There's degrees of rewards Given heaven, nobody's going to be upset or complaining. Oh, he's got more than I. None of that. We know that. Everybody happy. Everybody satisfied. Everybody joyful in the Lord. But that's just what the Lord tells us. That as you receive more rewards, more serving opportunities in heaven because you're suffering for the Lord, because you are sacrificing for the Lord, because you are serving the Lord. That's what we are saying here. One final thing. Verse 12 says, you have to be rejoiced and be glad. And this isn't saying you're rejoicing, glad because, hey, I'm suffering. Well, this feels great. That's not the point. I think we all know that. You're not a masochist, you know. I'm going, oh, man, I can't wait. Beat me up some more. This is great. feels really good. No, of course not. You rejoice and be glad because you can suffer for Christ's name's sake. You can suffer for the Lord. And, and here's a thought, and it's a slight differentiation. I'm just pondering it this morning. Yesterday, I'm not sure how to think about it. Is that as Christians, we should all be willing to suffer for the Lord, right? Whether verbally or physically. We should be willing to suffer the Lord. Should we say, I want to suffer? I can debate on that point. I can go back and forth. You know, I'm not saying that's wrong. Yeah, I want to suffer for Christ because he suffered for me. Because Christ loved me so much, he suffered and died for me. So I'm willing to suffer and die for Christ. I want to do that. That's fine. But at least, as Christians, we should say, I'm willing. Lord, whatever you want. 
if I'm verbally harassed at work, if I'm, you know, beat up someday for my faith, whatever, I will willing to do it, okay? Finally then, this is all talking about hope. Hope means you know it's worth it. Be persecuted on this earth because you know that it'll be, you'll be greatly blessed in the kingdom of heaven. Now, to truly live for Christ can result in loneliness. It can result in ridicule. It can result in rejection. It can result in misunderstanding. That's more the white persecution. Or it can result in physical pain. But you need to always remember just three things here. One is you're doing this for the Lord. Lord, this is for you. And having that heart that wants to do it for him. Secondly, you know the Holy Spirit is always with you and, in fact, is in you. And thirdly, as I said before, you know that God will give you all the grace you need to get through whatever you are going through, that you will not have too much upon you that you can't handle by God's grace for you. Well, there's more. I just could take one more week to look at this persecution at this time, but I want to finish with a couple verses here. Philippians 1.29 says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's been granted. Hey, it's like it's a privilege. And you read some of these stories about Christians of old who have suffered. They count it a privilege and an honor that they can suffer for the Lord. They, they see it that way. And, and I think part of the difficulty we live in this country where we have it so good, we really have it nice here. That in some ways, and I remember talking to a Christian who's a missionary, went all over, well, particularly over in Europe, Asia parts, and he said, man, we're soft. He'd come back here, we are so soft. So I don't know how it's going to play out here in the years ahead as persecution gets worse. We are soft. And I think what's going to happen for sure is the wheat from the chaff is going to be separated, okay? Let's go to First Peter. I mentioned before we'll close in these verses here. First Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. Let's start at verse 6. I think you need to see that this, the, this, all these verses in context. We can split off one verse here, separate two verses here, but the whole thing in context of, context of suffering. It says there, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God when you're suffering, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour through persecution. Context. Verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I said before, there are certain places where it's much worse than here. And be aware of that. Pray for Nigeria. Pray for... North Korea, pray for those in Iraq and Somalia and different places. Finally, the concluding verse here, two verses. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this lesson today that you have for us. It's for me. It's for all of us. We don't like persecution. We don't like suffering. We don't like hardship. We don't like it when it's too cold sometimes or this or that happens, Father. Just pray that you'd help us to, by your grace and, and by your spirit, Lord, be ones who 
are willing to live for you and willing to die for you even, to suffer for you, to sacrifice you, to serve, to give up our lives. Help us here. Each of us, I pray, each of us are in a different place in life, and I just ask you to help us personally, individually, and our families as well, then, to be ones who are living for you. I pray for our country. We see what's going on. It's obvious. The increase in white persecution these last few years, you can't miss it. And I don't know what's going to happen this next year or the next year. I don't know. We don't know. All I know is we need to, first and foremost, put you first, not put some election first. It's really, in some ways, it's God, you're in charge. Put you first and live for you. You're the king. You're the one we're to live for, die for, and serve, knowing that you will take care of us and lead us and bless us. So just pray for our church here. Pray for Bethel, Lord, that you'd help them. Lord, I pray also for the younger people because a number of us here in our 60s are even older than that. And some of these things that are coming down the pike to our country may not affect some of us older people as much in terms of this hardcore red-type persecution. But the younger people, yes, I believe it will. Those who are our children or our grandchildren, God, I pray, help them to understand, to learn, to be tough, Lord, by your grace, to be strong in the Lord, strong in the Spirit. Help, help us, Father, to instruct them as you lead us. They may not want to hear this, but God, help us to be ones who are in a gentle and kind way. Warn them of what is coming. Indeed, it's sad. It's one of the hardest things because we always want what's best for our children and grandchildren and friends and others and relatives. But this is the truth. I, I can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. Lord, it's in your word. Now we're seeing it increase in this world around us. But thank you again that we can serve you, that you love us, you lead us. I pray that you lead everyone here. Pray for those who aren't feeling well. Pray for Sandra and Bruce. And pray that Carol doesn't get sick and others who aren't feeling well, Lord. And Pray also then for, for Bethel. Lord, help all of us here to again be and do what you want for your glory. But I'm going to pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This time we'll have our communion time. Singers can come up. invite you to stand for our communion song. Um, two things that the communion does for us. Number one, it reminds us what our salvation cost, the price that Jesus paid. And secondly, he did it and said, keep doing this until I come back. So this is not a memorial to a dead person. This is a reminder of a living Savior who's in God's presence and one day will come back for us. But it's a great hymn. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. I hear the Savior say, I strain. Indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin I left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find 
Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. White as snow, and when before the throne I stand in Him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Thank you. May be seated. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 26, 26. That's Matthew 26, verse 26. This is the portion of the word that talks about the, the communion time, the Lord's Supper uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Just want to just go through a couple thoughts very briefly here to refresh our minds about what this is about. Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. The bread was unleavened bread. It was flat. It was sort of big, and he broke it, okay? He broke it, and, and it, the breaking doesn't mean that Jesus' body was broken because, as we know, none of his bones were broken. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. The body, of course, referring to his body. He said, This is my body, not meaning some churches and religions believe that it's actually the body of Christ. It's not true at all. It is referring to his body. It's symbolic, meaning that Jesus Christ gave his entire life. We know he gave his entire life. He lived a perfect life, and that was necessary. He was a perfect sacrifice for us goes on to say then, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a, a cup and given thanks, the word given thanks is from Greek word Eucharisto. You guys might have heard Eucharist. Some of you in different religions, this is Eucharist. That's where that comes from right there. Give thanks. And so it's interesting. He gave thanks. And I'm thinking, okay, we're giving thanks, but why does he give thanks? Well, because he knew it was an opportunity to serve the Lord and, and, and God would bless. He was doing what God wanted. He gave thanks for this opportunity. He gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. Again, referring to his blood, we know the verses say, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We understand the sacrificial system instituted way back in the Old Testament that they, they sacrifice animals. That's, that was the means by which they had that temporary atonement back in the Old Testament. And now here is Jesus, the fulfillment of all that had happened in the Old Testament. He was the one and final sacrifice. This is my blood, which is, is a blood of the covenant. Again, this is referring to the new covenant, uh, again, ratified by his blood, which is poured out, poured out 
for you. And that doesn't mean, quote, literally, he was drained of all his blood, but he freely shed his blood. And it says, poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. It says many. Not everybody's going to get saved. Not everybody's forgive, sins forgiven, just for many. That's, that's what we understand. This next verse is interesting. I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We understand this time here we're having at this, this point here is to remind us of what Christ did for us at his first coming, okay? That he died for us. He rose again from the dead. He, our sins are forgiven. We're washed clean of our sins. Reminded that, but then we're also reminded of his second coming, saying, hey, I'm going to come back, you know, and I'm not going to drink of this vine until you come back. We'll drink it together. Very interesting. So, so the point is this, real simply, this time is a reminder of, of that fact that you're forgiven, that you're loved by God, loved by Christ, and also then a reminder that you will be with Christ, celebrating with him in the kingdom to come. That's what's going to happen, which is what it also says in a similar thing in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So with that then, let's take just a minute to search our hearts because God wants us to be a holy personally and a holy body collectively here as we take this communion just so you just pray silently then i'll i'll pray Thank you, Father, for this time we take the bread and cup, an amazing thing we do, remembering of you and, and your love for us, Father, Son, and Spirit, your great love for us, your mercy on us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for paying for every single one of our sins, thoughts, words, and deeds from the entirety of our life from beginning to end. We bless you for that, and when you're on the cross, you paid it all. We just sang that song. Thank you for paying it all. Everything. There's nothing that we need to do. No good works. It's your work. Lord, on the Christ, on the cross for us that results in, in our salvation. And we thank you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 11 says, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, Father, we thank you for your love for us, your great love, your perfect love, your eternal love. I, I ask you, Father, to help us as we go through the days and, and the weeks ahead, Lord, as we go through this next month, that we'd be continually thinking about your love for us. That should, that should be that which strengthens us and encourages us, God, 
to know you loved us so much, no matter what happens, because we go through all kinds of things. We need to remember that you love us. We thank you for that, and we love you now, too. We praise you. We bless you. We give thanks to you because of your love for us and the work you did for us and saving us, and that we will be with you forever. And sometime in the future, you'll come back. Sometime in the future, we'll be all together in the kingdom and having a great celebration together, and we thank you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name. few announcements here. This Wednesday we're having our Prophecy Bible Study. We've been going through Revelation 13 and we're going to continue on. We're not going to go back to Isaiah because we're going through this and so that's this Wednesday. Extremely important chapter. In fact, there's one verse we looked at last week, verse 7 says that the Antichrist makes war with the saints. That relates to persecution. Bob Hunt's coming here in a, in a couple of weeks, two weeks from today. He'll be here. Uh, looking forward to that time. And also want to say that um, Bethel is, is working. You might see a few different things. I don't know if there's a hole in the ceiling someplace around here. I think there is. But they're working on the AC, okay? Uh, they are hoping to have it done by today, but there's a few glitches, you know, that happens when you do construction work, so that should be done soon, so that's good. In fact, let me back up and just say this. They, what, what's happened is, 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 is God has enabled them to have access to different funds of money, other sources, which enables them to do this. So it's really a blessing. I mean, as I talked to uh, Raphael on Wednesday, he, he made it quite clear to me that God's really helped them financially to do these things. So that's going to happen. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm not exactly sure the timing, but maybe in two weeks, maybe three weeks, they're going to start working on these bathrooms. You know, they need to be updated. They're not up to code. And that's going to relate to fixing different things in the foyer, and they're going to have a whole new entryway. So that's going to be more construction. So that's going to happen here, okay? And I think probably, again, I'm not sure if it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, or whatever, but that's what they're planning on doing. And then, of course, they have other projects they want to do as well, do some things. You'll see the roofs aren't in perfect shape, you know, some shingles off, so they've got some things. So we're very thankful for them and that God is doing this. They're doing things that really, as a church, we weren't financially able to do. So it's just a great blessing that this all works out. We can be together with them for the Lord. One final thing here is that this uh, In Touch, I, I got a hold of, this is Charles Stanley's book that he passed away, went to be a heaven last fall, I think. But he, he puts out his devotional, and I call them. They're sending to us for free. So if you want one for yourself, not taken for everybody you want, just for yourself, take one, okay? Unless you want to take it for yourself to give to somebody else. But you could just have one. And I'm going to mention to Raphael, if they want some, they can have some as well. But they're back there. There should be enough for every one of you to have one, at least one per family. But this is the simplest, most encouraging devotion I know of. There's a lot of good devotions, but some are a little more difficult to understand, a little longer. This is what I mean. It's the simplest and encouraging. You read it in, in one minute, and it's very encouraging, very basic, simple truth. So you, you don't have to take them, but I'm just saying they really are good. That's back on the table. You can grab one for yourself. If that be more next week and you want to get another one for a friend, fine, you can do that. Finally, these, uh, we um, want to give you opportunity to give back to the Lord. We have that little box back there. Uh, that you can put money in, or you can send it um, a check, or you can give it online. Thank you.
invite you to stand for our last song. And if you're wondering from the message, how in the world am I going to make it with all this persecution and everything going on? <laughs> well, I have the key to that. It's our last hymn. Have faith in God. Revelation, he says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the faith they had in Jesus Christ. And uh, we have to believe that God is in charge. He's large and in charge. He's in charge of our lives. He's in charge of the world. And having faith in him, we can accomplish anything through his spirit. Have faith in God. Have faith in God when your prayer raises lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have drawn. Never alone the least of his children have faith in God have faith in God have faith in God he's on his throne have faith in God he watches o'er his own he cannot fail he must prevail have faith in God have faith in Trust his word and be patient. Have faith in God, he'll answer yet. Have faith in God, he's on his throne. Have faith in God, he watches o'er his own. He cannot fail, he must prevail. despair. Cast all your cares and your burdens upon him and leave them there. Oh, leave them there. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. faith in God, he's on his throne, have faith in God, he watches o'er his own, he cannot fail, he must prevail, have faith in God, have faith in God. Benediction, Psalm 86, verse 12 and 13, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. 
and will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Amen.